anyways, I could not be more excited to preach this message. And so, anyways, um, got a picture for you this morning. Oh, yeah. Who knows what that is? It's a car. Who knows beyond that? Somebody say what that, what that is. Does anybody know specifically what Ferrari? It's actually a 488 uh, Spider because in, in, in Italy, you can't just say convertible. It's not cool enough. You got to say Spider. This, if I could only own one car, because there's like a list of probably 500 that I would love to own. But like, if I could just have one, that is, in, that is it. I think that is perfection. You can see that every Monday night in the new Magnum PI series. And I just think that is fantastic. And so guys, especially when they look at cars, there's a lot of, a lot of girl uh, petrol heads too that, that love vehicles and, and, and how fast they'll go. And uh, there's, a, there's a comment or a question that's made when the, the, the hood is lifted up or the new car pulls up and I've got a buddy uh, here that just got a new car recently and, and uh, every, you know, we're all excited about it. And, and, and one of the questions, the one that comes up is, what'll she do? What's that mean? What'll she do? How fast, how powerful is this? In the case of the Ferrari 888, just so you understand this, it has 661 beautiful horsepower. It will do zero to 60 in three seconds. It will do the quarter mile in 11 seconds, and it will do a top speed of 203 miles an hour. Mr. Aaron would be more than happy to put the cuffs on me if I was dumb enough to do 200 miles an hour through the little town of Somerset, and uh, he would unhappily have to put Pastor Adam in the pokey. Um, what will she do? We are in week two of a series called Graceful. And today's title is, How Amazing Is This Grace? We want to find out what will she do? What can grace handle? And so there's questions that unfortunately are asked more by Christians than people outside the church. People in the church are more concerned about the limits of grace than people outside the church. And this is concerning as a pastor. And so we all want to know what can it handle? Why do we want to know this? Well, we come through moments in life where this becomes a little more uh, concerning to us, either for ourselves or let's say we've been at a funeral. I've been to a gazillion funerals, and I've led through a lot of them. I consider them wonderful opportunities to be Jesus to families in need. But I've been to a whole range of funerals where the mood uh, can be all across the spectrum. The best funeral to go to, if there is such a thing, is when it's a true celebration of not just how much they lived and loved life on this earth, but everybody knows beyond a shadow of a doubt who they were living for while they were here. I've been to a few of these, actually a ton of these funerals, where you're celebrating a saint going on to heaven, and everybody understands where that person is. There, there's not even, it, there's, there's no whispers of, of, of any concern. And so you have a celebration of not just their 60, 80, 100 years, or whatever they had, hopefully, and uh, you're also celebrating that you understand where their eternal life is going to be spent. Unfortunately, I've been to more funerals than less where that's not so clearly understood. And so 
as a, as a believer, people are, and, and Christians that are connected, they're, they're, they're sent wondering if this person ever made a decision for the Lord, and they're trying to kind of figure this out. And, and we walk away from situations like that, and, and, and it makes us question our own lives, and, and what's going on, and am I doing enough? Have I lived a good enough life? And, and the stamp that you hear at the average funeral is they were a good person. And so now they're automatically one of God's newest angels, and that's bad theology, by the way, and that's a whole other message series. God doesn't need angels. He made us anyways. We'll, get, we'll move on. We can't pray people into heaven after the fact. There's, it's impossible. It's based on whether a person has, has made a decision of faith and, and trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and asked for forgiveness of their sins and has trusted and followed Jesus with their life. If that hasn't happened, then they are not going to spend eternal life in heaven. I don't care how many people they helped while they were here. And that's a sad thing. But what we end up going away with and what ends up happening happening is that this creeps into our life and this uncertainty creeps in and so why are christians more concerned online for answers like have i committed an unpardonable sin or or have i lost my salvation somehow or i don't feel saved today or how can i what, what does this feel like and, and what's happening? I don't feel close to God. Have I, if, if I died in this moment, would I still go to heaven? Or, or I, I died while sinning, and so how can I get into heaven? And so all these things creep in, and we end up spending a life living in fear of whether or not we're saved instead of enjoying the salvation that God has provided for us. Does this sound familiar at all? Okay, I'm going to preach to four of you. Pay attention. We can't pray anyone into heaven, but we can choose to live for God and care about all those who are around us. That is important for us to do. The problem is this uncertainty creeps into our lives, and this can be further enhanced by bad teaching from pulpits where it teaches people to live holy lives through fear and guilt. And so I've heard that used from uh, the offering plate all the way up to uh, to applications with, with, uh, with not sinning or, or to quit certain addictions or whatever else. And so the, the energy that is used to change a bad behavior is fear and guilt. And you want to live in the righteousness of God, don't you? Oh, yeah. Well, then stop doing what you're doing so that you can enjoy that. And there's, there's some... There's some variant of truth there, but what that gets messed up and, and puts into our path and, and becomes a part of our filter is, is that I've got to worry constantly about belonging to the Lord. Let me read to you from Romans 5.1.2, because then we end up asking questions like, can I lose God's peace? What if I die with sins? I can remember a time as a kid, and, and embarrassingly, maybe not that long time ago, time ago where I would constantly have to like self-evaluate and, and just out of this fear that, you know, what would happen if I died with unrepentant sins? Has anybody had that thought before after coming to the Lord? And so you live in this, oh my gosh, am, am, I, am I clean? 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 Romans 5.1.2 says this, 
Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand, and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. Excuse me. In that verse, in those two verses, it says something about me being made right and about having peace. And this is like a present tense kind of thing. It's not something that, like, it's juggling in the air or spinning like a bunch of plates and, oh, I, I got to worry about losing peace with God today. It says there in that second verse, it says that we have been moved to a place, brought into this place of peace this place of grace. And so we don't have to live in fear about, am I there today or not there today? Have I fallen out of grace or, or what's going on? Do I have to worry about this constant state of maintenance? These verses say that you don't. So Adam, are you preaching eternal security? Some churches do. What do I mean by that? There's a term that flies around called once saved, always saved. For the record, I just want to touch on this right from the beginning on this part. I have heroes on both sides of this debate. For every Jack Hayford, there's a Billy Graham. For every John Piper, there's a T.D. Jakes. If you don't know those names, then it's big deal. You probably recognize Billy Graham. I hope. Pay attention. But guys like Billy Graham and John Piper, who I consider heroes in the faith, they, they, they land on that eternal security because they would argue that if somebody were to lose their faith, they were never a believer in, a true believer in the first place. And so kind of like this approach to lawless grace and graceless law, it's, it's, it's different expressions of the same level of value for what's happened at the cross. And so this has been interpreted different ways, which is why you do have different flavors of churches out there. And so, so the Lutherans are, are on the eternal security side. Uh, the Methodists are over here. And so they, this is church stuff that, that is, it's not as, it's not the big deal. It's not Jesus is the Son of God, died on the cross for your sins. These, these things don't separate these folks from being my brothers in the Lord. And I hope you don't consider that either, okay? So I'm, I'm, I'm giving you this broad picture up front because some of you in this room right now grew up being taught both ways, okay? I got taught by that guy, so that's, that's, that's his fault, okay? So heroes on both sides. Listen to these scriptures. Colossians 2, 13 and 14 says this. You were dead because of your sins, and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all your sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. That's legit. Now that all is past, present, and future. And this is, this is where we talked about last week, that it, it is inappropriate and bad theology to think of, reap, of putting Christ back up on the cross, to, uh, cross again every time we sin. That's, that's biblically, biblical nonsense. Not there. 
One time on the cross, the perfect Savior, the perfect sacrifice covered all of our sin, past, present, and future. And so this is saying, and this is where, this is where a John Piper will hang his hat and said, my, my sins as a believer are already all forgiven. But him and even Joseph Prince and some of these other guys understand that there's a relationship aspect to this and there's a reason why you talk with God about the stuff that's still, that you're still dealing with, the junk, the sin. And because there's a maintenance thing going on, there's a relationship that you're trying to grow in and walk in. And so even though you are going in to that conversation and that prayer, you're not wondering whether he's going to say yes or no to forgiving your sins. You're coming in saying, God, I need your help with this, and I'm so glad that I'm under your grace. I'm so glad that you are forgiving me for this. But God, I, I, don't, want, I don't want to hurt you here anymore. You know, there's a relationship that's going on here, but there's never a fear of falling out of grace. Does that make sense? I need more than two people to shake their heads yes. Does, is that making sense? We're not supposed to live in fear of, of losing his love. Listen to this other scripture because here's the other side. Hebrews 10, 26 through 29 says this. Dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning, after we have received knowledge of the truth, there is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. Therefore, there is only the terrible expectation of God's judgment and the raging fire that will consume his enemies. Ouch. For anyone who refused to obey the law of Moses was put to death without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Just think how much worse the punishment will be for those who have trampled on the Son of God and have treated the blood of the covenant which made us holy as if it were common and unholy and have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to us. That's intense, right? The Apostle Paul is, is, is writing all across the board on grace, and, and, and yet here in these, in these verses, he's saying, you, you don't want to walk away from the truth that you've come to find, right? And I've, I've seen this. I, I've, seen, I've seen people get on fire for the Lord, and then I've seen uh, time go by. I've seen hurts come and go. I've seen uh, things happen, and and you and you watch this person go further and further away from the Lord, and and I don't know where and and when, where and when separation occurs, or how or how that even happens. But there's a coldness that can come that that's our choice to to I believe to to stop serving the Lord and eventually or, or to even reject Him again. When this happens, your consciousness going numb. So this is where the thought process comes. It's like, well, God's going to forgive me anyway, so I might as well. Well, now you're just being dumb. You're, you're, you're being callous towards the goodness of God, and you're choosing to let something stay inside of you that not only does he disprove of, but will keep, can keep that part of you from, I talked about last week about standing under that waterfall. The waterfall's still there, but you're not allowing it to wash through that part of your life. You're, you're holding something back from heaven. And why, why would we? And then why would we take something back from him? And, and, and there's this constant thing. And so um, 
I love Jack Hayford. He's another one of my heroes. He's, he's worth checking out. He says it this way. He says, you're not going to lose your salvation by accident. He does believe it's possible to lose your salvation after the fact. But he says, I don't believe in once saved, always saved. He said, but I also don't believe in once saved, hardly saved. You are secure in Jesus until you choose to take yourself out of his hand. And so he says this. He says, you will have to lose it sincerely. And so this fear, this bumping around every day of, oh my gosh, I, 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 I can't believe I forgot to repent of that. And, and oh, dear Jesus, can, can, are we okay? And stop. You need to rest in, 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 the, in the way that God loves you. And so let me put this into another analogy. And for those of you that in this room that have uh, been divorced before in your life, I don't, I don't say this to just remind you of, of past pain, but there was a moment where those two people loved each other. And then there was a moment, no, there wasn't a moment where that marriage ended, was there? There was a series of events of two hearts growing apart. And eventually, an agreement to quit, right? Here's the thing. That's why covenant is so serious and God treats marriage that seriously as, as something that should be till death do us part. That's how he treats covenant. What we have to remember is that Christ loves perfectly. He is never going to choose to stop loving you. He is never going to issue you a certificate of divorce. He is never going to keep a list of wrongs and then present those with you and say, I can't deal with this anymore. He is going to perfectly forgive you every time you go back. We are married as a, as a believer, as a follower of Christ. We are in covenant Him. We are essentially married to the perfect person who will always forgive us, and that perfect forgiveness comes with not remembering what they just forgave you for. Wouldn't that be nice in marriage? All of those guys who just chuckled that loudly, you are in such big trouble. He's not looking for a reason to leave you, is what I'm saying. But my understanding of the Scripture is based on the choice that we always have, and that's the free will to choose, and I always have it. And I never give it away. And even though I'd be a fool to choose to leave the hand of Christ, I believe by the, the understanding that, I, that, that I, I have, the theology that I've come to accept says that I always have that choice to walk away, but foolish me if I do. Right? Does that help? Okay. Like I said, I got heroes on both sides of that, and so that's worth digging into um, outside of this. Okay, so... What about the unpardonable sin? This is another thing that, that the Google show up, that people like to search. And guess who's searching it? Christians. Well, the Bible does, there's like this phrase in there about not, it really just touched on it right even there in Hebrews that we just read. And so there's this mythical or like this trump card out there that if somehow I cross this line right here that I have just removed myself from all possibility of God ever loving me again. 
And so I have seen good Christians live in fear of that or wonder if they have done that. And they think, oh my gosh, I'm doomed. Well, listen to this. Is this practical? Have you guys thought about any of this stuff? Let's go to, um, I had Mark in my notes. It's actually Matthew. Uh, Matthew 12, 22 30 th- uh, through 37. This is where this comes from. So Matthew 12, verses 22. Listen to this. It's worth listening to because this is where this comes from. Then a demon-possessed man who was blind and couldn't speak was brought to Jesus. He healed the man so that he could both speak and see. The crowd was amazed and asked, could, this, could it be that Jesus is the son of David, the Messiah? That's what miracles are supposed to do. They're supposed to draw attention to God. But when the Pharisees, the religious leaders, heard about the miracle, they said, no wonder he can cast out demons. He gets his power from Satan, the prince of demons. Jesus knew their thoughts and replied, any kingdom divided by civil war is doomed. A town or family splintered by feuding will fall apart. And if Satan is casting out Satan, he is divided and fighting against himself. His own kingdom will not survive. And if I am empowered by Satan, what about your own exorcists? They cast out demons too. So will they condemn you for what you've just said? But if I am casting out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has arrived among you. For who is powerful enough to enter the house of a strong man and plunder his goods? Only someone even stronger, someone who could tie him up and then plunder his house. We serve a big God. Anyone who isn't with me opposes me. Key verse right there. And anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. So I tell you, every sin and blasphemy can be forgiven except blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, which will never be forgiven. Anyone who speaks against the Son of Man can be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven, either in this world or in the world to come. Jesus throws down to the religious leaders of that day because they were so convinced that they were representing God's interest that they did not see the Son of God before them. They saw Him, but we said this last week, Those who have eyes, let them see. Those who have ears, let them hear. There were people, religious leaders, that saw Jesus but did not recognize him as the Son of God. And they looked at what he was doing, and instead of going along with the crowd that said, oh my gosh, this must be heaven visiting earth, they said, that's Satan at work. Friends, If you are conscious in your life of worrying about offending the Lord, you're for Him, not against Him. You don't have to live in fear of crossing some line with your sin. Should we be careful about how we live? I do believe that. I believe we can have more effective lives. I believe you can have more fruit. I believe you can be a better witness of absolutely. But at at the same time, I don't have to worry about doing something that God can't forgive. I don't have to do that. I don't have to spend one second of my life worrying about God's forgiveness over my sins. He can handle it. Is this okay this morning? Are you for me or against me? 
Well, what about suicide? If someone is essentially dying while sinning, and they're also essentially rejecting God, has some automatic button, I mean, has some decision already been made? Have they made it for themselves? Well, we're not judged by any one thing. And I would say this, that um, I would, the, the far majority of suicides would reflect a life that has no hope and, and, and most likely has never placed a hope or a trust in Jesus. I would, I would absolutely agree with that. And uh, I've been, had a few suicides close to, close to me personally and ones that I've, uh, you know, been the pastor on the scene with. And uh, these, are, these are terrible, terrible things. They, this is, there's, not a, there's not a worse funeral to go to. Uh, there, there just isn't, uh, maybe other than a small child. Um, but there was one funeral, uh, one young man that, that I knew I, um, that I do believe is in heaven. And there are those... Like I said, heroes of the faith that would say that's not possible. But back up with what we just said. If I died with unconfessed sin, let's say I just make a series of bad decisions in a night. Bad decisions. Let's say I end up in an accident caused by alcohol and somebody loses their life. I lose mine or I take one. Let's say I take a few lives along with me and I die in the accident as well. Where am I going to end up at? Did I make a conscious decision to reject the Lord as my Savior? No. I died while doing something terrible that is going to cause a whole lot of hurt and pain. And what a shame. Do you see what I'm saying? I'm saying that grace can handle a lot. And the life of a believer should not be spent worried about grace running out of room for you. Let me read to you from Romans 1, 16 and 17. It says, I'm not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. This good news tells us how God makes us right in His sight. This is accomplished from start to the finish by faith. And as the Scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. So I'm not ashamed of preaching this grace because it is so big, it is so deep, that it is exactly where you want to be living. And when we get this, all hell is going to break loose. What did he just say? Making sure you're awake. I said H-E double hockey stick. Yes, I did. Preachers can say it in context. All hell will break loose if we get this. What do I mean? Listen to Romans 16.20. This little phrase is at the beginning and usually at the end of so many of Paul's letters, and it was a phrase that would have been said within the Christian church as a way of saying goodbye to each other. Kind of like, may the force be with you. This is where that came from, okay? You guys love my pop culture references. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet 
may the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. This isn't just a church way of saying hello and goodbye. There is power in this statement. And if we understand this, this is saying that we can experience God's peace by crushing Satan under our feet because God's grace is with us. Let me say that again. We can experience God's grace by crushing the enemy under our feet because God's grace is with us. Grace did not just come to save us from our sin. It came to give us dominion over sin. It came to give us dominion over our enemy so that I know where I stand. I know that even the stuff that entangles me at times, that I'm still a child of God and that I can rest in who I am in him and that I understand that through this grace, I have the power to rise above what the enemy is trying to do in my life. Does that make sense? Here's the thing. So many Christians, I believe, worry just about staying saved and, and maintaining the salvation. And that's why I appreciate the Billy Grahams and the John Pipers that will say, rest in your salvation. You seriously came to the Lord. You seriously repented of your sins. You seriously chose to follow Him as your Lord and Savior. Chill out about your salvation. Be ever so grateful for it. It is the access point to this life of grace, but it is not something you're supposed to spend the rest of your life contending for. It was contended for by Jesus on the cross, and when you made that decision to walk into it, you arrived at that place of grace. And so if we worry about just staying saved, it would be like keeping that beautiful Ferrari 488 at 25 miles an hour and just using it to pick up and drop off my niece at the local elementary school. Friends, I got to get out of second gear in a car like that. I want to go, wee, wee, I want to. I want to rent track time and I want to see the 200. I want to see what it'll do. Do you see what I'm saying? Staying saved is like keeping a Ferrari under 25. We are asking the right question the wrong way. What'll she do? We're worried about losing it. Shame on us for spending five minutes worried about losing our salvation and losing the hand of God's grace after we're saved. Shame on us for wasting any of that time of life under grace worrying about whether we have it or not. Do you want to know why? It's because we've got better things to do. What do you, what's he, he's, he's gone crazy. Grace wasn't made just to keep you out of the ditch. Let me, see that. Let me say that again. Grace wasn't given to us just to keep us out of the ditch. Thank you, Jesus, for keeping us out of the ditch. That's not what I want to live my life doing is just bouncing against the guardrail and, and just running to him and, oh, I, I'm just going to live this life of agony and just wrestling with stuff and worrying about it. No. What will she do? What can grace really handle? We need to step on the gas. 
Grace can handle a lifetime of living thoroughly for Jesus and exploring all that He gave to you through that cross. I'm not just talking about salvation. I'm talking about, there's this crazy church word called sanctification. What's that mean? That means about defeating the stuff in your life after salvation. It's about looking more like Jesus every day. It's, it's about your life becoming more and more uh, able to reflect the glory of God into yourself and into your family and the people around you. You should be able to walk more and more and confident of the things that God has provided for you. How about purpose? Grace can handle purpose. Grace can say, says this, no matter what you've done, where you've been, what's gone on in your life, that when you cross that access point of salvation, when you've chosen to place your faith in the cross of Christ and the resurrection, that you now have purpose that is full on regardless of what's gone on before. So I would rather get to living than worrying about losing it. Do you see what I'm saying? We can expect amazing things from living under the limitless grace of God. I want to read one more passage to you today. Ephesians 3, 16-19. I thought you all would be more excited about this message. I'll be honest. says, I pray that from His glorious, unlimited resources, He will empower you with inner strength through His Spirit. Then Christ will make His home in your hearts as you trust in Him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ that is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Grace was given to us for more than staying out of the ditch. It was given to us so that we could be made full and complete. We can expect four things of to experience under God's grace. Listen to these as we close. One, verse 16 said we can expect power. Somebody say power. What you all might be missing if you are frustrating riding this edge of life and, and just bouncing around and, and, and messing around with sin in your life and, and worrying about your, your standing with God, you need the power that was provided by grace. And when Jesus left, he said, I'm going to send another. The, the another is the Holy Spirit. And it's an, another Christ, another one who walks alongside of you. The, the capacity to have the understanding and power of heaven within you. Through the person of the Holy Spirit, another walks alongside of you. There is power available. Unlimited resources through the Holy Spirit. There's a reason why that Ferrari has 661 beautiful horsepower. It was made to fly. And they gave it every horsepower it needs to do what it was made to do. And so were we. We can expect power. Number two, we can expect 
security. Verse 17, Christ will make his home in you as you trust him. It says roots will grow. Do you want to feel secure? You build the relationship. And I've already described him as the perfect spouse. He is ready and willing to build the most amazing covenant relationship with each of us. He's already paid the price. He's willing to put in the time. He's willing to figure this thing out with you. He's got it figured out. He's, really, he's willing to be patient for us to figure it out. This talks about roots growing down deep as we trust the Lord. Friends, at, at 42 years old, I have trusted the Lord for more and more things as I've lived this life and my roots are deep. I, I, I trust Him. I don't doubt my relationship with Him. I don't doubt His love for me anymore because I have trusted Him more and more as life has gone on and so my roots are deep. We can expect power. We can expect security. We can expect love. Verses 18 and 19, we should experience and come to find out how wide, how deep, how high, and how long God's love is for you. Got a question for you. How do you figure out how much somebody loves you? When do you really know? Is it on a good day or a bad day? It's on a bad day. If you want to, you want to find out what your marriage can handle, you go through the stuff. You want to find out what a church can handle, you go through the stuff. You want to find out what a friendship can handle, you go through the stuff. What this is saying is that the Lord is asking to be tested. He's not asking you to challenge him by trying to out sin everybody and say, try to forgive this. <laughs> Don't be an idiot. Apostle Paul addressed that. So should I sin more so I can get more grace? Shut up. No. But what you're going to find out is that he's never going to say no to forgiving you. He's never going to say no to forgiving you. He's never going to take your purpose away from you. He's never going to take the good promises He made to you away from you. Now friends, don't get me wrong. If, if, if I go out here and punch somebody, there's going to be consequences. If, if I go out and, and I do get that speeding, to, if I do go 200 miles an hour in that beautiful car, there, there could be consequences. There's consequences from suicide, terrible ones. There's consequences from hurting people. There's consequences from sinning. But the one I don't have to worry about is God stopping, choosing to stop loving me. I don't have to worry about that one. We can expect power, security, love. Verse 19, we can expect wholeness. This says you are made complete. The word holiness is, is, an, is, a, is a synonym along. It's a shared uh, 
part of being whole. It's about being made whole. So when, when we're commanded to be holy, God wants us just to be complete. And so this new covenant is not so much about worrying about what, what, what part of me is falling apart or, or i got to worry about this breaking or that breaking. God is saying, pursue me. Pursue wholeness in me. As I make you complete, you are going to pick up the broken pieces that have surrounded your life and in your past. And oh, by the way, I'll use you to help others around you start to pick up the broken pieces in their life. And I'm going to restore you. We can expect power, security, love, and wholeness. So what can grace handle? I want to find out. Not the bad way. I want to find out what she can handle. I want to find out what happens if I will spend my life standing under this waterfall called grace. I want to find out what happens when I allow access to heaven at any time when he wants to pour the giftings of the Holy Spirit from, through me. And, and, and he says, I want to give this person that. I want to see this person healed. I want you to give this person this word. And oh my goodness, I want you to tell this person that. I want you to do this. I want you to go here. This is what this is full of, is people that turn their lives over to the potential of grace. Who's with me? Let's pray this morning. With our heads bowed in this room, I just want to address a few things. The first and foremost is this. You should not wonder about where you stand with the Lord. Now, if upon hearing this, you realize that you have never made a decision for yourself, for your own life, to ask God for his forgiveness and to trust him to lead you, if you have not asked Jesus to save your soul and chosen to have him lead you, then today's your day. There's no reason for you to stand outside of this thing called grace any longer. Is that you this morning? Raise your hand. Are you ready to cross that line of faith and choose to accept the love and the grace that was provided through the cross? Is that you today? Raise your hand. I want to pray with you. We don't want to miss this. Then I just want to touch on those four things. Do you feel weak today? If you feel weak today and you want to feel, experience the power that's provided through the grace that God gives you, raise your hand just where you're at. You feel weak today. Uh, physically, spiritually, you feel weak. Raise your hand. Accept God's grace today. Do you feel insecure today? Do you honestly, inside of your heart, not know how God feels about you? You feel insecure today, and you want to know that you have security in Him, and you want to feel that revelation of how He feels about you, then raise your hand today. Do you feel insecure towards heaven? Raise your hand. God wants to provide you that security through His grace. Do you feel unloved today? This is the saddest thing, is for somebody to believe that, that they are unloved, not just by other people, but by God. Do you need to know that you're loved today? Raise your hand. God wants to touch you supernaturally by His grace to let you know that you're loved this morning. Is that you this morning? And finally today, do you feel broken? Do you feel like a mess? And you may have wandered in today thinking, I don't know what God can do with me. 
Do you need his wholeness today? Do you feel scattered spiritually, mentally? Do you need to know his wholeness this morning? He's provided it by his grace. Would you raise your hand this morning and receive his wholeness this morning? We should expect to experience his power, his security, his love, and his wholeness. Father God, we thank you for this word. God, we thank you for this thing called grace. God, I thank you that it's amazing. It's truly amazing. Help us to know it and live in it, God. Bless every person in this room, God, that they would walk away today feeling more confident, feeling more power, more security, more love, more wholeness. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. As we're worshiping, there are people up here that want to pray with you. I'll say it over and over again. The smart people ask for prayer. If, if you made a decision today, then we want to know about it. There's a card in front of you that says decision. We want to know what's going on inside of you so that we can follow up and walk with you. Come get prayer.